the digital divide in this country isn't rural versus urban. It is really all over the place. Welcome to another episode of the Community Broadband Bits Podcast. I'm Christopher Mitchell, and I'm in St. Paul, Minnesota, at least for a, a little bit longer. We're going to start doing some traveling again soon. But today, today we're going to cover some recent news, some interesting stories that we've been seeing. Uh, it's going to be a shorter show than normal. We're going to highlight some of the stuff that we have on our site. And frankly, if you want the longer piece, you can go check it out and read it real quick. Uh, today, I pulled Sean Gonsalves, our senior editor, researcher, writer, um, cheese cheese aficionado. Uh, <laughs> I like that. I like that. I was going to say connoisseur, but yes. Yeah, yeah, I would say you're a connoisseur as well, and um, uh, but just generally all around person who does interesting things at ILSR. Thank you. G- so, glad to be here. Let's start off with uh, with a story that's not even yours. Uh, let's start off talking about New Hampshire quick, and uh, we'll run through it really quick. Uh, but I wanted to do this because I'm I'm excited about this story. Jericho Casper on her team, she wrote it, she ran it down, she reported it out. Uh, we got it published in uh, in GovTech. Um, it was sort of a little bit of a slim down version because GovTech doesn't want to run these 3,500 word pieces. <laughs> um, and then we've just published it on our site in uh, in the in a little bit more detail than than it ran in GovTech. Um, do you want to give a quick overview of, of what's going on? in there in uh, that southwestern or southeastern corner of of New Hampshire? Well, they've developed this partnership, as I understand it, with um, the uh, incumbent provider in that area that, you know, previously hadn't been all that popular. But who knows, after they roll out this fiber uh, network that they're looking to build in that corner of the state, uh, folks, I'm sure, will be a lot more pleased, at least with the uh, reliability uh, of the service. And so it's a public private partnership, as I understand it, where the the various towns have come together and um, have uh, voted, you know, each of these towns that are participating to uh, issue revenue bonds to build the network and consolidated communications is going to be operating and managing the network. And in so many cases. Yep. In many cases. Right. right not, not all of each. them. Yes. Yeah, I mean, there's, I mean, it's Cheshire County, and it's exactly as you state. And you know, um, Consolidated is um, um, is a company that throughout New Hampshire often provides DSL. Uh, you know, it, inher- it bought a network from Fairpoint previously. It was the, it's the incumbent telephone company, and and exactly like you said, there's um, they've not been very popular because there haven't been a lot of upgrades over the years through the different owners. Uh, but yeah, now cities you know, with the opportunity to work with them, it offers them a quick opportunity to get fiber out. And the part that I find really interesting is that um, that makes it work in some of these cases is that Consolidated is actually guaranteeing the debt. Uh, you know, it'll actually be paid by the people who subscribe through Consolidated. But if in terms of the risk, the cities have practically no risk. And that that's pretty interesting, I think. Yeah, and super super attractive, and 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 in contrast, in some ways, to you know the neighboring state in Massachusetts, which I've you know reported on a bit on some of the towns out in the Berkshires who have, um, you know, they're similar communities in the sense that they're these small towns, rural. We're talking about you know towns that have you know several hundred people residents, or you know maybe you know a, a thousand or so. Um, yeah, they might live like general. a lot of people might live like five miles from the town square. Right, right. We're talking about, you know, exactly not very densely populated areas. Uh, in Western Mass, of course, it's it's been uh, very successful uh, so far. You've got, you know, maybe uh, two dozen towns or so that have uh, built or are in the process of building fiber networks. 
in, in, in those instances, they didn't partner with a private company. They've actually been working with, uh, you know, a Wired West, um, a consortium of towns uh, and, and, and the, uh, the utility out there, um, Westfield Gas and Electric. Right. Um, so it's, it's, a, it's a bit of a different model in New Hampshire, but it's interesting to see some of these rural towns in the Northeast, um, you know, come up with these different models as a way of, you know, so how do we build these networks in these, you know, hard to reach communities that are not very attractive to uh, private companies to build networks. And so they've, you know, there's, there's these different models that we can now see, you know, sort of side by side in Western Massachusetts and New Hampshire. And then of course, in Vermont, they're doing something a little bit different. Yes. And some of the ones that some of the towns that in New Hampshire are not working with consolidated are working with uh, New Hampshire electric co-op, which is uh, an organization that we've reported on uh, an electric co-op that uh, the management did not want to get into broadband. The board did not want to get into broadband and a local organizing effort uh, led to them changing their minds and demonstrating that there was a lot of a lot of desire from members of the cooperative, member owners of the cooperative, that they wanted the electric cooperative to help solve this problem. And it sounds like some of the towns there will be partnering with that electric cooperative as well. So it's, I, you know, I, I would be shocked. I mean, let's, let's do a little prediction. Like, in two years, I think there could be 50 New Hampshire towns that have done something like this. So uh, let's, let's lay that out there. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, I think one of the things that's really interesting about, particularly in some of these rural towns in, in building these networks that sometimes folks don't often think about is, you know, since the onset of the pandemic, a lot of there's been a lot of movement from people from cities into areas where now that you can work remotely and work from anywhere, it, you know, a lot of these communities become a lot more attractive, except for the fact that if you don't have good internet connectivity, it it, it makes remote work essentially impossible uh, if you don't have really, you know, a reliable connection. And so in these areas where they're building these networks, it becomes, you know, uh, something that can draw people into these communities, in, in many cases, bringing, bringing people who grew up there and moved away, went to school, worked in you know big cities, and now they're able to to come back to where they grew up, and um, and and that's a a feature uh, or a benefit I think of these networks that I think a lot of these more rural communities are going to you know realize that you know that it's that it's, it's very attractive um, to to live in areas that are you know far away from you know pop you know dense population centers, but have you know you know, the, the, you know, the beautiful, you know, towns and the environments and, and kind of a, a slower way of life, but yet you, you're not having to sacrifice your connection to the modern world living, living there. Yeah. I think, I think one way to, to phrase that might be that we're, we may see some of these vacation homes, um, some of these, you know, um, like sort of um, get away from the city for a week or two homes turn into summer homes where people aren't just coming up for like a few weeks out of the year, but they are spending almost the entire summer there because they can work from there. And, uh, and I think, you know, people who thought the pandemic would end, you know, the, the demand in, in the, the high, uh, high cost urban areas. Uh, we haven't seen that at least <laughs> house across from me just sold for $120,000 more than it did two years ago. Um, uh, I guess I'm a terrible neighbor by the way, PSA, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but you know, we're, we're seeing property values continue to increase dramatically across the United States in urban areas. But I do think like people who can afford it, they, they have like those second homes and they will be spending more time there 
there if they can work reliably from there, or even if kids can do school from there on occasion. Exactly. Exactly. So, so let's talk, if we go a little bit west of there, we go some the northwest. Um, you did some, you just published a cover story on the, on a kingdom. Tell us about this uh, this kingdom in Vermont. Yeah, uh, well, first of all, Vermont's got great cheese. Um, so we, we should say that uh, right, at, right, right, at, right out of the gate here. So um, I recently wrote about uh, the Northeast Kingdom. Um, N-E-K is the initial, the initials. And uh, in the Northeast Kingdom, which is a very rural part of Vermont, I mean, I mean, let's face it, most of the state of Vermont is rural. Right. But uh, this particular part of Vermont is, is about the most rural part of the of, It's of the Vermont state. of Vermont. It's the Vermont of Vermont, exactly. Um, and um, in fact, there's a, that, that particular region several years back was designated as a, they call it a REAP zone, um, which is Rural Economic Area Partnership Zone. It's a de- designation that the uh, USDA has for actually only a select few areas of the country. I think there's only like four. There's one in North Dakota, two in New York, and, and this section of Vermont. And it's basically a way of saying that it's a very economically deprived region. Um, and, it, it, in, and that designation gives them access to certain special grants and so on and so forth. But it's just a way to sort of characterize that area as one that even the federal government recognizes as a very rural area that's been deprived of a lot of economic development. And um, that's what we're talking about in the Northeast uh, Kingdom there. Right. So you have, you have these twin challenges of extremely rural and extremely low income makes it very difficult for a business plan to pencil out to get broadband infrastructure to every home. For sure. For sure. And, and in the state of Vermont, they've taken an interesting approach in that they have decided that um, the best way to First of all, the state's goal is by 2024 for the entire state for there to be universal access to broadband and the vehicles that they're that they want to, you know, get to that goal in is through these things called communication union districts, which are these uh, municipal entities that are, I I guess you could say they're akin to say like a, a water district or a sewer district where multiple towns can come together and form a th- these districts that are you know these municipal entities and but to build communication infrastructure and and that's the the primary vehicle by which the state has decided that they're going to pursue universal uh, access to broadband and the northeast kingdom well before you before you get into there um i i think and you know, you might not be in a position to correct me but if you are you're not allowed to no, i'm just kidding <laughs> you know, um the I think the communications union districts, um, because of the sort of the the financial conservatism of Vermont, I think the CUDs are either limited or unable to issue debt um, that is general obligation debt for for the for the entity, and so it's difficult to get a startup going. That is correct, and they and they have no authority to levy taxes whatsoever. Um, although be, being municipal entities does put them in a position to. Uh, get accent, uh, excuse me, access to grant money, and eventually go to the bond market. Um, and in this case, in the Northeast Kingdom, that's precisely what is their business plan. Um, what they're looking to do, there's 55, first of all, I should say that there's nine 
communication union districts throughout the state. This is one of them. One of the one of the more uh, recent ones. Yeah, and if form. if we're painting a picture, like I mean, there's there's kind of one that is like way out ahead of the others. And that's EC Fiber. We've talked about that's them right. before many times. Wonderful project, and now that has spawned additional ones. They helped to create this whole idea of a communications union district, and um, and now all these other ones are trying to figure out how to make a similar model work for their areas. That's right. That's right. And and the NEKCUD. Uh, that was formed in March of 2020. So they're, you know, they're they're fairly young. They're, you could say that they're a fledgling uh, CUD. And so far, they've raised about $750,000 through various grant programs. And they've they they have this little partnership with uh, Kingdom Fiber, which is a a, a private uh, uh, company. Um, and they they use some COVID relief funding to connect about 100 homes or so in several towns. As, as almost like a pilot project. But the, just recently, in the past few weeks, they approved a uh, $120 million business plan to bring fiber to the home to all 55 towns in the Northeast Kingdom. And we're talking about passing 33,000 premises. They're talking about deploying about 2,800 miles of fiber and uh, a seven-year rollout process. And what they're really excited about is a, um, a new... Uh, a new grant program that was established when the governor signed a bill, uh, H360, I believe, is, is is the bill number. Well, before before you get out too far ahead of that, let's, I feel like people are always curious, like, what about the people that live outside the towns? And it's worth noting that in, in Vermont, as in other places in New England, um, there's no place outside of the towns. <laughs> like, <laughs> the, the town boundaries all abut each other. And so we, we use the term town, but it encompasses all of the territory. And so this is more or less every last person in the area. Um, when we say the 55 towns, it's all the people that live in that area, basically. Yeah. Right, right. Good point. Good, good point. So, yeah, so, so Vermont um, just amazing um this bill uh which we're tracking jericho casper wrote about several times over the course of this year uh on muninetworks.org uh what happened in this bill so it it it, it's, it took the the covid relief money that was in the american rescue plan and, de- and dedicated 150 million uh 150 million dollars that will be um a pot of money for the cuds to access this grant money and um to, you know, to build out these networks. And in, in the Northeast Kingdom uh, uh, um, case, um, they, they are eligible for, they believe, 40 million of that and are actually looking forward to, you know, you know accessing that money and using that 40 million as, essentially as their initial, um, uh, co- uh, the, the initial money that they'll use to build the network. Um, and and then that will put them in a position to um, then go to the bond market um, once you've kind of established, uh, you know, a, a good asset base and, and, and some level of service. They can then go to the bond market and then build out the rest of the network. And they think that process will take about seven years. So the, the way to think about this is they, in other places, uh, a city might, although they don't often, um, but a city might issue debt and say, um, you know, hey, we've got this business plan, but at the end of the day, the business plan fails, we'll, we'll raise taxes in order to pay you back. And that's what we think of as secured debt or general obligation debt. And they're not allowed to do that in Vermont. And so uh, it's very hard to issue unsecured uh, debt when you don't have a track record uh, because <laughs> investors are are looking at you and think, well, 
maybe they'll do a good job, but maybe they won't. And if anything goes wrong, what can I seize as a, as an asset? And you know, there's not a lot to seize in a, in a network that's not working well. So, um, and so what happens is, is you can get this started and you can demonstrate, you know, that you know what you're doing. You're doing a good job of serving customers. Then investors are much more willing to loan you, you know, the kind of money that they will need, which is on the order of another $80 million or so to, to build out to everyone. And, and who knows, in that time period, we might see other federal programs or whatnot to, to help uh, along in these, in these more rural areas. Uh, but I just have to say, like, $150 billion in Vermont for the communication union districts. Just I'm doing my happy dance in my head. You know, it's, it's very exciting. Um, well, I mean, it, it, it's even more exciting if you live in the Northeast Kingdom, because for most <laughs> folks, for most folks there, you're talking, you know, your choices are essentially, you know, DSL or HughesNet. Um, there's some folks that are in the, you know, that have signed up with Starlink, and has, you know, in the beta test program. It was it was funny that um, while I was interviewing the chairman Evan Carlson of NEK Community Broadband, um, we he has he's 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 a uh, he's got Starlink re- recently uh, subscribed, and uh, in the middle of him saying he's like so I have Starlink, and it's not perfect but and then he said but and 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 we were doing a Zoom call and it froze for about ten or fifteen seconds so. To give you a sense of 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 the fact that you know satellite, even with all of the fanfare of Starlink, isn't quite what uh, what folks would I'm sure like to have, which is you know a very reliable connection where you're not you know in the middle of. In this case, it was just an interview with me, but uh, you know if you're in an important meeting, it's 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 not acceptable to be freezing as often as we were in our conversation. Well, I do think that the Starlink's ardent supporters would remind us that the expectation is that that will go away as there's more satellites and that this is still the beta. And I would suspect that um, uh, I know one of the people in Vermont that has it and boy, they're, they're so happy (laughs) that they have, you know, something that works 95% of the time or more. Um, at, the, at those speeds. So so you're right. And I think it, it can be really hard to try to work on a VPN all day if you're running into that every 20 or 30 minutes. Um, so that's, but that's the context that they're in right now. That's right. But I mean, even, but, you know, credit to the Starlink for being as candid as they are when, isn't there, isn't the phrase something like better than nothing or yes. good enough? Yeah, it is. <laughs> and I mean, I, you know, it's one of the, like, I don't know. I, I remember when you had to get an, an invite to join Gmail and uh, it was in beta still like eight years later or something. Like, <laughs> so mm. the, the term beta is, uh, is not always well-defined. Um, and, uh, but in this case, there's clearly some issues that are, that make it um, uh, relevant so let's talk about the last thing that you've been working on this week in particular, and that is uh, something I asked you to do, uh, something that we're going to be releasing hopefully here in early July, talking about what is the problem with broadband, which it, it seems like it's kind of an easy question. But uh, when I talk to folks, whether they are, um, let's just say, um, People who are in high positions who are tasked with solving this problem in the, in the federal government, um, down to local leaders, I don't, I don't think people always have the right conception in their mind with what the actual problems, and I say problems, with broadband are in the United States. Uh, so, so what do you, you know, what's your focus in this paper? Well, wh- one of the things that, you know, I think is important to get across, and that's hopefully this, uh, this brief will, will, will help do that, which is that... Um, there are folks that have this idea in their head that lack of access to broadband is really only a problem in rural America and for people that are out in the, you know, on the farms and in the outskirts. 
I mean, that is certainly true that there is a, a, a severe, uh, you know, connectivity problem in rural America. But the truth of the matter is that it's a bit more nuanced than that, and that the the digital divide in this country isn't just rural versus urban. It is really all over the place. And, um, and I think part of the reason why this idea that rural America is where the problem is, is, you know, as we talk about uh, the broadbandification of, of the United States, it's often, you know, talked about in, in you know, in, in saying that we're in a similar time to uh, the 1930s and electricity. And, and in that sense, you know, you, you know, you had the Rural Electrification Act that really helped bring electricity to those, 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 those rural parts of America that didn't have refrigerators, that didn't have lights in their homes, so on and so forth. Part of the problem with that analogy is that it sort of implicitly suggests that much like with electricity, the same is true with broadband, that is true, except that the, the, the issues are go far beyond just rural America. And what we mean by that is that the lack of access to broadband is not just that there isn't infrastructure in place everywhere. That is a problem that, you know, it's sort of a patchwork, but there are other issues to accessing broadband, namely a lack of affordability and which is the result of a broken market, meaning that there are a lot of areas in this country, including major metropolitan areas that are served by monopoly, you know, uh, incumbents and who don't have any incentive to make real investments in the infrastructure that exists and don't have really any incentive to offer prices that, you know, are affordable. And so there's a real need to introduce competition in, into the market. And that is something that, you know, is, a, is an important aspect to solving the digital divide. And that's something that's important to communicate to folks that are making laws and, and, and deciding how the federal government or should the federal government be, uh, you know, subsidizing the building of networks anywhere. Yeah. And I have to say, this is a, it's a pet peeve of mine and I would take it in a slightly different direction, but I really like the direction that you took it with uh, the rural electrification. And in my frustration is there's a bunch of people who are like, we've got this major problem to solve. And, and they would, even if, even if they defined it along the lines that you do, if, if not just like a lack of access to infrastructure, but, you know, some, if they said some kind of high quality, you know, infrastructure or something like that. And, and their solution is we need fiber. And I'm like, you know, rural electrification didn't succeed because we put copper on phone lines. It worked because we built like 900 electric cooperatives that had the right incentives, not just to build the networks, but to deliver power reliably at an affordable price and to keep it that way decade after decade. And for people who are like fiber, 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 I'm, I'm just annoyed because first of all, I'm cranky, like <laughs> it's getting hot. I'm, I'm not sleeping enough cause I'm doing too much. Um, but I'm, I'm cranky about it because like the problem isn't just the technology. Like, you know, if, if you, if you force me to choose between right now, you know, basically saying all federal dollars got to go to fiber and, and, you know, not just like someone could take that in a weird way, like a genie, like the sort of the monkey's paw. But like, let's just mm -hmm. say for a second, like, like you could generally direct the money toward fiber in intelligent, cost-effective ways. And that's one option. And the other option is, is that 
to the greatest extent possible, we're going to empower and give money to the cooperatives in rural America and the local companies that have made real commitments over the years to do a good job. And some of them might use that money to build fixed wireless. I would rather have the money going to those locally accountable entities than picking the technology. Because the danger is, the danger is, is that like if you're focused on fi- fiber, well, Frontier can build fiber, you know, like AT&T can build fiber. But right. like, that's not the solution. And it just irritates me. I get it. And that's a great point is that it's, 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 we don't need to really obsess as much over the specific technology that's, that, that's used so much is that, that, that local accountability piece and, and, and injecting some competition into these markets that have long been dominated and frankly protected by the federal and state governments, these, 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 these monopolies um, that have led to where we are today, where, you know, so so millions of americans are 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 paying high prices for essentially second rate service yeah i mean second rate connectivity many tens of millions i mean you and me specifically that's right that's right um it's it's right yeah and i mean you know we see this in in cities in which like um the federal government and we were, were dealing with this issue with the treasury department and the rescue plan funds and i feel like the treasury department looks at this and says that they have the wrong conception of what's broken in broadband. And so they say, well, obviously we should spend money on broadband infrastructure in areas that lack it. But the thing is, is that like, and I use this example all the time, Baltimore, you know, has, um, you know, I don't know, 600,000 people, something like that. Um, Comcast can deliver a gigabit to pretty much any one of them that it wants to. Uh, and at the same time, half of the kids in the Baltimore schools did not have internet access during the pandemic. And, and that clearly demonstrates that like the proper metric of understanding what's going wrong in Baltimore and in many of our cities is not this question of, of whether 25.3 is, um, is there physically, you know, whether or not a company claims it can provide it, but whether or not the job's getting done. And, and I mean, I have some sympathy because like, like, sure. Like how do you, how do you legislate, put into words, Chris's idea of the job is getting done. But but like that's what we need to do. <laughs> right. Right. Well, I mean, w- one of the things that, you know, was hopeful, uh, you know, when uh, the Biden administration initially, you know, put out their, I, you know, ideas around infrastructure was that it was prioritizing local entities, yeah. municipal, municipal network, uh, 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 municipal cooperatives. networks, cooperatives, nonprofits. Um, and and. It seemed to it, it seemed to suggest that the Biden administration had, you know, had this idea that, you know, the lack of competition is a big problem uh, as it relates to broadband access and that it is the job of 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 the of the federal government to create uh, competitive markets, to create the conditions for competitive markets and not just remove regulate, you know, remove regulations as, as has been kind of the, 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 the standard operating procedure. Now, who knows where this whole infrastructure stuff is going? You know, there's potentially tens of billions of dollars that will be directed towards local communities. So this is potentially, you know, a real watershed moment. Um, there's a lot to be said as to, you know, it's hard to read the tea leaves as to where that will shake out and kind of the timeline of those things. But, you know, to your point, that was one of the things that was initially exciting about uh, what we saw in the, you know, in some of the early uh, infrastructure proposals as it related to broadband. Cool. So let me, let me say thank you, Sean, for, for popping in here to talk about some of these stories. 
Um, people can check out muninetworks.org. Uh, if you haven't come across that website, I'm a bit confused as to how you found us. <laughs> um, but we're not just lovely voices. We also write. <laughs> and, um, um, and let me also say that I, I'm, I'm confused in, in exactly how to proceed as we do this show moving forward. And I'm curious whether we should do more of these internal episodes where we're talking about some of the great writing that, that our colleagues are doing on the team, uh, or if we should continue our focus on outside guests. And so if people have any thoughts about that, feel free to, you know, send a, drop a comment, send a tweet, um, you know, uh, drop by my house and tell me how we're doing. Um, but, uh, but let us know what you think. And thank you, Sean, for your time today. Absolutely. Thank you. We have transcripts for this and other podcasts available at muninetworks.org slash broadbandbits. Email us at podcast at muninetworks.org with your ideas for the show. Follow Chris on Twitter. His handle is at communitynets. Follow muninetworks.org stories on Twitter. The handle is at muninetworks. Subscribe to this and other podcasts from ILSR, including Building Local Power, Local Energy Rules, and the Composting for Community podcast. You can access them anywhere you get your podcasts. You can catch the latest important research from all of our initiatives if you subscribe to our monthly newsletter at ilsr.org. While you're there, please take a moment to donate. Your support in any amount keeps us going. Thank you to Arnie Hughesby for the song Warm Duck Shuffle, licensed through Creative Commons. This was the Community Broadband Bits podcast. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.